0: Well, I want to say good morning to you uh, once again. Great to see you. Um, this is typically the time where we would greet each other and, and say hello. And so, the the six of us or so here, uh, we'll do that. We'll wave to each other and say hello. If you're watching online, again, great to be with you. Um, you can throw like a fist pound up there, high five. I don't know the hands of praise. I know there's the d- debate on like. Half of the emojis are, like, used. We've taken—Christians have taken over the emojis, right? Praying hands, praise. I don't know if that's really what they are, uh, but we're going to claim it, okay, as ours. And so, uh, <laughs> uh, so you can throw those up there in the chat and, uh, and say hello uh, to one another now. Well, uh, as we've been doing uh, for the past month, uh, we once again today dive into the book of 1 Peter uh, if you're new to this series, uh, we know that this, this letter was written by the Apostle Peter from Rome about 30 years after Jesus' resurrection. Uh, we know that Peter uh, was, a, was a personal friend and disciple of Jesus. And here, he's, he's writing to early Christians in the first century to help them to know how to navigate life in a world that is not their true home. In fact, he calls them exiles, sojourners. You see, culturally, uh, we know that the reigning values at that time, they, they celebrated things like money and pleasure and position and personal autonomy. Philosophically, the leading thinkers of that day could not agree on the meaning of life, nor the reason that humans even are. Politically, The government of the Roman Empire was on shaky ground. And the emperor himself was unstable and unpredictable. And spiritually, at the time of this letter, you could safely believe in anything as long as it wasn't in a crucified savior who came to seek and save the lost named Jesus. Now, does that sound familiar at all? Uh, In other words... These Christians lived in a time a lot like our own. They, like us, were misunderstood and maligned and dismissed. They, too, faced their own personal doubt and and questions and uncertainties. They struggled. They faced difficulties and, and trials of many kinds. And so Peter writes to them here and to us to help us know how to make it through this life as foreigners as citizens of God's kingdom he wants to help us thrive while we are on this journey and he wants us to stand firm to flourish to grow even in the midst of our exile and so with that we turn today to 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 13 to 21. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 13 to 21. And what we're going to see Peter do here is make this really critical, this really important shift and offer us four encouragements for this life in exile. They are principles, but at their core, they are encouragements as well. But before we get to those, Uh, Let's remember really briefly the context of this letter, because that's really the only way that we can understand what's going on here. So if you open up chapter 1, verses 1 through 2, you see there Peter begins this whole thing by saying that he's writing to followers of Jesus who are elect exiles, Christians who had been saved by the foreknowledge of God, the work of the Son, and the application of of the Holy Spirit. Then, in verses 3 through 5, he says that we have been caused to be born again to a living hope, into an inheritance that is unfading, that's everlasting, that's being protected for us, that it's guarded for us. It's truly amazing. Then in verses 6 through 9, he says that God is using the trials that we're currently facing to show us the preciousness of our faith. In that faith, it is worth more than gold, because it is because it is achieving for us a glorious salvation. And then last week, verses ten through twelve, we saw why we should be completely and totally captivated by that salvation as well along with the incredible reality that we are actually invited into the redemptive story of God. A story that God has been writing since the beginning of time. And so that's how Peter starts this letter. But then, again, this this letter makes an important transition starting in verse 13, which is where we begin today. And he starts there, you'll notice that he starts with the word, therefore, therefore. And let me me make a a quick remark about that. Because that word might actually be the most important word in our section of Scripture today. See, in this passage, what we're going to see Peter do is encourage those of us who follow Jesus, those of us who treasure Christ, he's going to encourage us to action. But what's critical to understand and see and notice is that before Peter calls us to action, calls us to these actions, before he calls us to do something, he first, which we just looked at and covered, he first gave us a reminder of what God has already done. And so that's the flow and the progression that we have to see here and understand here. Peter starts with the reality that salvation is entirely of the Lord. But in our text today, he's going to show us the flip side of salvation, or the other side of the coin, if you will. He's going to show us how we partner with God in our sanctification Sanctification, which is the, the process of us growing in Christ'-likeness. And I think a passage that, that best articulates this dynamic for us is found in Philippians chapter 2 verses 12 through 13. Paul says there, he says, "Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling." Why? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So Paul is saying the process of sanctification, it's a dynamic process where God works in, but then we work out. That this growth that we experience, it's ultimately God's work, but we must act on God's work. Okay, do you understand that? God gets the credit, we get the joy. He works in us, then we work it out. Don't miss that point. Any growth, any victory over sin, any renewed affections, any increasing delight in him, it's all a gift from God. Again, our salvation is ultimately God's work, but we must act on God's work. So, now with that in mind, let's turn to Peter's encouragement to us here to know how we can stand firm as exiles living in this world. And the first encouragement I believe Peter offers to us is this number one, set your hope on what is coming. Set your hope on what is coming. If you want to stand firm in this world as an exile, you have to set your hope on what is coming. Look at verse 13. We already looked at the first word, but here's what it says again. It says, therefore, therefore, in other words, again, because of what I said in the first 12 verses about, about God and his gift of salvation, how all that works, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope Fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And we'll stop there. That phrase, um, preparing your minds for action, it's actually a really interesting one. Um, they're actually in your Bible, in your version of the Bible, uh, whether you have an app or um, if, if you have a physical copy, there might actually even be a footnote in your Bible about that phrase there. You could check that out. But the mental picture here is a man, actually. It's a man who's, who's gathering up his long garments, his long garments. Um, men at that time, they, they wore very long garments. And so here's the picture. This guy, he, he, he kind of girds up his garments, and then he, he tucks them into a belt of sorts. That's the picture here. And why does he do that? He does that so that he could run, Okay, unhindered, right? So you can kind of get this this picture again. This guy, he's, maybe he's in a hurry. I don't know, he's late to work. Uh, maybe uh, he's about to be late for dinner and he's got to get home soon. I don't know, all right? But the picture again, he, he, he kind of hikes himself up his clothes, tucks him into the belt, and then he takes off, right? It's sort of a weird picture for us here, right? Uh, but, but today, sort of the, the 2020 version of this, it would be like saying, uh, to roll up your sleeves, to roll up your sleeves. I can't roll my sleeves up all the way. They're buttoned too tight here. But if you're ready to do something, right, when you're ready to act, right, you want to be unhindered, right? You want to be free, kind of loose. And so what do you do? You, you roll up your sleeves to get ready for work. Or Peter says here, you prepare your mind for action. That's what he has a mind here. You be ready. And Peter here, we're not sure, but he, he might be thinking of Jesus' own words to us in Luke chapter 12, verse 35 and following, where Jesus says, stay dressed for action and keep your lamps burning and be like men who are waiting for their master to come home. Be ready. Be prepared. So So Peter starts here, he's saying, to have hope as exiles, as sojourners, to make it through this life as followers of Jesus, it starts, it begins with preparing our minds. So you might say, our hope stems from where our minds are set, Say it again. Our hope stems from where our minds are set. And that's why Peter tells us here to be sober-minded. And what does that mean, to be sober-minded? Well, for sure, it it includes actual sobriety from intoxication, right? Um, Don't get drunk, right? That's assumed, I think. But to be sober-minded really means something much broader than that. Um, Sober-mindedness it, it means avoiding anything that would confuse or, or or muddy a mind that is faithfully clinging to Jesus. You see, there there are a lot of things that can intoxicate the mind. Right? Let's just say it that way. Things like selfish ambition, bitterness, lack of forgiveness. Jealousy, sinful anger, right, and so many more. And these things, what they do is that they hinder us. They distract us. And they can even be spiritually deadly if we're not careful. Because what they do is cause us uh, to lose focus. They can cause our hearts, actually, to, to drift and to grow careless. And when that happens sin can suddenly become attractive. And we can even find our affections for Jesus himself dampened or diminished. And so Peter says, avoid this happening to you by preparing your minds, by being sober-minded. And how do we do that? Well, it says, Peter says, set your hope fully on jesus set your hope fully on jesus so that's, let's unpack that just a little bit you know i've definitely said this before multiple times i think cuz hope comes up a lot in scriptures in the scriptures but hope in the scriptures right it's it's quite different than how we typically use the word hope today Right, we tend to use the word hope like in this context. Like you might say, "Uh, "I really hope that Korea wins the World Cup." Right? I really hope that Korea wins the World Cup this year. Or uh, maybe you would say, "Oh, I really hope it won't, won't rain today." Like I don't know, I have plans outside or a picnic or maybe an outdoor wedding. I don't know. And you'd say, "Oh, I just really hope. I really hope that it won't rain." See, we use hope more as a wishful thinking. But that's not what the Bible is saying when it speaks of hope. Biblical hope is a confident expectation in what is going to happen. It's it's a deep assurance that what God promises will come to pass. Or you could say it's looking forward to What is 100% guaranteed? That's biblical hope. And notice here how how Peter talks about this hope. He actually talks about hope as something that we can move around. It's, it's, It's really good. It's really interesting. We can actually move hope around. That's sort of the feeling here because he uses the word set there. You see that? He says that our hope is something that we can actually put or or set somewhere. And so he's not saying here, he's not saying we should wait until we feel like, like emotionally feel like hoping. He actually tells us here to take hold of our hope. He says, set your hope, set it, because this is something that you and I can do. It's a decision then. To set our trust in the future somewhere or with someone. And so think about it this way. Um, Just like you, you set your furniture in certain places in your home. Or, or you set certain art or, or photographs on your walls, right? With, with adjustments and, you know, you pull out a level to make sure it's just right. There's careful consideration. You sort of maybe put the picture up there first and kind of look at it. Maybe you take a picture of it. There's, there's adjustments and consideration and, and a lot of thought that goes into that. In the same way, Peter's saying, take your hope and set it, plant it on the grace that is yours in Jesus Christ. That's what Peter's saying here. And he says, set your hope fully, fully. So don't go halfway here with Jesus. Don't fix your hope and your joy on him, but then simultaneously at the same time, Set it on other things that will fail you or will spoil or just fade away. Things like status or education or money or family or your career. Right? Sure, all of those things are, are good. They're, they're great things. But they are, dare I say, they are terrible places to set your hope. So instead... Fully set, plant, anchor your hope on God and all that he is for you in Jesus. Peter says, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. And what does he mean by that? What is he talking about here? Well, Peter's referring to the day. He's looking to the day that we will see Jesus face to face, either when we pass away or when he returns. He's talking about the day when we will ultimately experience the, the fullness of Jesus' favor and love and, and grace and power and majesty like we haven't up until that point. Peter's saying, look forward to that, to what is coming, and set your hope on it fully, because it 's guaranteed because you can bank your life on it, and you should be living your life in light of it while you are in exile here it 's sort of like when you uh, it 's sort of like when you book a vacation right uh, let 's say to Europe or something. You purchase the the plane ticket on Google or, you know, whatever. The day is on the calendar, and it's coming near and near and near, and it's really soon. And so what do you do? Well, if you're like me, uh, you start to plan. You start to think about what you need to, to pack you research a lot about what the weather is going to be like. You make reservations for, for different tours. And, and you plan out places where you want to eat. Um, and if you're really like me, maybe you're going to look into some cool coffee shops that you can visit while you're there. Uh, you see, what, what's, what's coming, what you expect, what you look forward to, What you hope for in the future, it gives perspective and changes the way you live and think now. In a similar but oh oh, so much greater way than looking forward or hoping in a vacation, Peter says, the new heavens and new earth is coming. You're going to meet with and be with Jesus. Forever. That reality is written largely over your life. It's written over your life today. It's guaranteed. And so plan for it. Live your life in light of it. Set your hope on that truth and let that reality shape your priorities right now. So that's the first encouragement to those in exile. Set your hope. On what is coming. Set your hope on the grace of Jesus that is coming, that is yours. Our second encouragement, then, to stand firm, we see here in the text. Number two, be intentional about who you are becoming. Be intentional about who you are becoming. You need to do that if you want to stand firm as an exile living in this world. We see that in verses 14 through 16. Peter says this, As obedient children, Christians are children of God, okay, we know that, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, uh, what's going on here? Well, what Peter's doing here is getting us to consider who we're becoming, who or what we're being conformed or shaped into. And in that, he wants us to take an active role in that process. Which is why he he mentions passions of your former ignorance. See, here he's talking about the desires that ruled us before we gave our lives to Jesus. It's the things, he's referring to the things, the desires that are not yet in submission to God. In other places, the, the Bible calls them fleshly desires. And what we know is those desires and those passions have no competition in our hearts when the Holy Spirit isn't there, when the Spirit's not within you. And so what happens is those fleshly passions, desires, they reign and rule freely in your life because they're all we know before we come to know Jesus and so at this point, sin is a very, very natural thing for you. It's all you can really do, actually. But then when we turn to Jesus, when we recognize our sin, we know the Spirit enters into us, and God gives us a new heart, a new nature, a new identity with God, and therefore, new desires. And with that, the Spirit breaks the power of the flesh and pushes those desires to the margins of our lives. But follow me now. Follow me. While that is true, those fleshly passions are not removed entirely. So you might say, they are still present but they are weakened. And so this introduces, what it does, this introduces a new conflict within every Christian, within every follower of Jesus. And the conflict is this, whether to follow the new God-given desires of the spirit or to continue to live out the marginal desires of the flesh. And you and I face that conflict every single day. And because of that, because Peter knows that, Peter here is urging us do not pattern your life after the flesh and its desires, but after God and his desires. He's saying, own, take ownership of who you are becoming, be intentional about who you are becoming. Just like we need to own where we are setting our hope, we also participate in who we are becoming. We choose to follow the Spirit's desires. We, we say yes to those God-prompted desires. We be conformed to the image of God, which leads to holiness in life. Why? Why? Because when we follow the desires of the flesh, we are being conformed to their image, which leads to death. And that's why Peter is warning us here. If we are children of God, then we should pattern our lives after God as his children. We should be holy as he is holy We should be aiming to be perfect just as he is perfect. So Peter says, children of God should bear family likeness to their heavenly father. We should resemble him in the sense of his character. And of course, who did that best? We know. It was Jesus, right? And so we strive to look like Jesus. We imitate Jesus. And how do we do that? Well, we we grow in our desire to be more like him out of our adoration for him. So let me ask you a question today. It's a really simple question. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? I'm not asking if you're saved. I'm not even asking if you have faith. You believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. I'm asking, do you love him? Do you admire him? Because I believe we all have a natural bend a natural leaning to be more like those that we adore and admire. We want to think like those people. We want to talk like them. We want to walk like them, right? Like when I was a little kid, uh, I don't know, three, four years old, I remember how much uh, I wanted to be like my dad. I really wanted to be like my dad. Uh, I thought he was so cool. And I looked up to him a lot, and and because of that, I wanted to be just like him. And I actually tried. Right, I, I put on his boots. Uh, he and I had had matching red jackets. We had the same hat, even. I even, I even imitated the way he walks, right? I walked like him, and I actually still do that even today, right? He's responsible for me turning my right foot out, all right? Dad, it's your fault. But we naturally follow and imitate those that we love and admire. And if that's true of other people, how much more should that be true of the living God of the universe? the author of all that is good and right and and beautiful. I want to be holy. so I want to be holy because God is holy. I want my life to, to reflect the goodness, peace, and joy of the Father because I am his son. That's who I am. And by his grace... That's what I get when I choose to follow the desires of the Spirit and obey Him. I get joy and peace for my life. Our flesh will war against us. It will try to take us in another way. And so Peter says we need to be aware We need to be intentional about the way that we live. And we need to, I believe, we need to invite other people into our lives who are also relying on the grace of Jesus, just like we are to help us on that path. Peter says, do not be conformed to your former passions, the things of the flesh. And because he said that, understand, it implies, then, that we can, you can, have significant victory over those desires. You and I can walk by the Spirit and live for the desires of the Spirit. So own who you are becoming. You are a child of God. That's who you are. So now walk in that truth. Be intentional about who you are becoming. Number three, number three, Peter's third encouragement to us. How can we stand firm as exiles? Number three, well, live in healthy fear of your heavenly father. That's a way to stand firm. Live in healthy fear. Of your heavenly Father. I think we see this in verse 17. Look at the text with me again. Verse 17, it says this And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. So again, Peter is reminding us that God is our Father here. And only followers of Jesus have that unique privilege. And do you realize, do you even even understand what a privilege that is? That you have a good father who who cares for you, who is 100% committed to you and your well-being if you belong to him? And then as a father, Peter tells us that God judges impartially, which simply means that he doesn't play favorites, that he does what is right, that the Father does what is best for us, that he is consistently committed to doing what is best for you and I, and that he treats us as his children, he treats us all the same. Now, I should say here that the judgment in view in this text, it's not one of condemnation. We know that because Peter calls him our Father. And the Father doesn't condemningly judge those who belong to him in Jesus. We know this, right? It's all throughout the Scriptures, but I think Romans 8, chapter 1 says this very clearly. It says there, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus so this this judgment's not about condemnation but that doesn't mean that the father doesn't continue to be deeply invested in our lives or care how our lives unfold God does care. The Father is invested. And so just because there's no longer condemnation, which again, let's not skip over there, that is a huge deal. There is no longer any condemnation for you if you're in Christ. But just because that's true doesn't mean that our disobedience goes unnoticed or undisciplined by him. Why? Because he loves us. Because he loves us. And like a good dad, when we stray, when we go off the path, he disobeys us for our good and for our joy. And along with that, because he is good, because he's a gracious and a loving father, in the end, we know that he will reward us for the good that we have done in this life. That's why throughout the New Testament, you see the writers constantly speaking about judgment, not just for the unrighteous, but also for the righteous. We see this in places like Romans 2.6. We don't have these on the screen, but you can follow me. Romans 2.6 says, he, being God, will render to each one according to his works. He will judge you according to your works. Or 2 Corinthians 5.10 It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one, each one, may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So for those outside of Christ, there will be a judgment of condemnation and it will be harsh, and it will be severe. But for those in Christ, there will be a judgment of reward. As the father, I can't even imagine this, but a a judgment of reward where, where the father graciously doles out good gifts, all good gifts to his kids, And that's the judgment that Peter is talking about here. God's fatherly discipline now and his judgment of reward then. And with that reality, Peter tells us, because that is true, Peter tells us, we should live in fear. We should fear God. And this is not a, a paralyzing terror, okay? It's a reverence. And it's awe for our good and gracious Father. I, I mentioned my, my dad uh, earlier, uh, how, how I looked up to him, uh, admired him, you know, wanted to be like him. But you know, um, when I did the wrong thing, I guess like a good dad, he would discipline me. And if you think, some of you think this, some of you don't, I guess it depends. If you think I'm a, like a bigger guy, tall, you know, bigger guy, right, you should see my dad. You should see him. And especially you should see that man's hands. Right? He has this reputation. People actually say his hands, they're like paws, like, like bear paws. He's got huge hands. His hand can actually go against my hand. I'm like 6'3", whatever that is, 191 centimeters or whatever. He can actually put his hand on mine and curl his fingers over my hands. Right, He can just crush my hand. I'm a pretty big guy. And so you can say, because of that, now you can imagine me as you know, a three-year-old, right? You can imagine, you know, looking up to that. And I had a healthy fear of him. And I was afraid of disobeying him because I knew that there were consequences. I knew that if I disobeyed, I was going to get the paw, okay? (laughs) Not good. Not good. But let's understand. Not all fear is bad. That type of fear that I had as a child, it wasn't bad. There are healthy fears. Again, that, that, that fear that I had of my father, it didn't create just distrust in me. It actually increased my trust in him because I understood that he had my best interest in mind. That he actually, he wanted me to flourish and thrive. He wanted me to grow And so that's what Peter is getting at here. We should live in healthy fear of our Father who loves us and wants what's best for us. God knows us. He knows the hairs, every single one of them, the hairs on your head. He is watching over us. and He is with us wherever we go on this sojourn. He's always ready to help. He's always ready to hear. He's always ready to act. So again, this fear doesn't paralyze us. This fear inspires us to live with him and for him and to become like him. So live in healthy fear of your loving father. And then Peter Ends his thought here, he sort of wraps up this section of his letter with this. The final encouragement, the final encouragement he offers us. Number four, rejoice in the gospel at all times. You want to make it through this life as an exile? Rejoice in the gospel at all times. And in many ways, um, everything we've said up until this point hinges on this point. (laughs) Verse 18, Peter says this, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot, so, so this is clearly a reference of how Jesus is the, the fulfillment of the Old Testament sacrificial system, satisfying the requirements of a pure and spotless lamb. That's what he's referring to. And then he says this in verse 20. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Amen. Now, it seems like there's a, a whole lot going on here in these few verses, but there's actually really not. Peter is simply recounting the, the good news of what Jesus has done for us, which we've been talking about this whole past month. So, if you're starting to feel weighed down by the first three points, right? Oh, how, how am I doing with this one or that one or, or that last one? Right? If you're, if you're feeling weighed down by that, Peter is bringing us back to the gospel. He says that God planned in eternity past. That's what he says. He planned in eternity past. That he would send his son, Jesus, to ransom you with his blood. Why? So that you could belong to God. That's what it took. Understand, that's what it took to rescue us. It took Jesus' very own life. You see, our our natural spiritual situation apart from God couldn't be darker or more of a disaster. Because of our sin, we have a debt to pay that we cannot pay, which is exactly why Jesus came, to pay our debt. That's what Peter says, to ransom us with his own blood. From our futile life and ways. Jesus took our punishment so that we could receive his acceptance. He took our sin so that we could receive his righteousness. Jesus took our death so that we could get his life. Jesus took God's wrath, the Father's wrath, so that we could live in God's love. So what this means is that not only is our situation desperate without him, but it also means that he must really love us a lot to go through all of this for us. So as we wrap up here today, Isn't it interesting that Peter reminds us of the gospel? Because, again, this is why context matters a lot to the scriptures. Who is he talking to here? He's talking to Christians. So why is Peter reminding Christians of the gospel? Listen, I think this is profoundly important. Because it's easy to think, for any of us, it's easy to think that the gospel is important for us in terms of bringing us into a relationship with Jesus. But then after that, largely leaving the gospel behind after that happens Well, the gospel is good for the lost. It was good for me at one time, and then I responded to the gospel, and then I move on. No. That's not what we see Peter saying here, and it's certainly not what we see any of the other New Testament writers saying in their letters, their gospels. Peter says, Christian, follower of Jesus, disciple of Christ, I know you are in exile. I know the trials and the tribulations that you face. I know, I know, because I've experienced it myself. Peter experienced it himself. I know life is difficult, but listen, you were, you were ransomed from the futile, the useless ways from which you once belonged by the pure and precious blood of Jesus. And so re- regardless of what you face, trust him. That's always the answer. Remember the gospel. Rejoice in the gospel and trust him. It's obvious here that Peter saw the gospel as something not just for non-believers, but as an ongoing source of encouragement and strength for Christians as well. And so church family... Let's never allow the good news of what God has accomplished through the person and work of Jesus to grow weary and tiresome in our hearts. Don't let that happen. Instead, let's rejoice and be reminded of it daily. Let's be reminded of this daily that because of the precious blood of Jesus and his ransoming work, we are fully forgiven, entirely loved, and and perfectly secure in him. And it's this encouragement, it's this rejoicing in the gospel always that's the key to everything else. Because because it's on the cross, it's on the cross that we see the enormity of God's love. And it's the grandness of his love that fuels all the other changes that take place in our lives. A recognition of God's love, reveling, rejoicing in the gospel, it fuels our hope. It fuels our love for him and it fuels our healthy awe of him. His love leads us to trusting him. So here's the the big thought for today. To stand firm and to flourish in this world that is not our own. You want to make it as an exile here? You want to live out this sojourn well? Peter tells us the answer. Set your hope on the guaranteed grace of God in Jesus. It is coming and it will be stunning. Be intentional about who you are becoming. There is an aim, a trajectory for your life. You have a path to choose every day. So do not be conformed to the image of this world, but to the image of God. Live in healthy fear of your loving Father, Know, be reminded, meditate on this amazing reality that he sees you, he knows you, he cares for you, and he promises your reward will be great. And then finally, rejoice in the gospel at all times. At all times, rejoice in the gospel. Let his love for you fuel your love for him and give you greater faith. Let's pray together.